0: Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also a TEDx and keynote speaker, and author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information about wellness, positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and lots of other good things. It's also the place where you can contact me and suggest future podcast guests. Now, as listeners of the podcast know, Our goal is to always feature guests who not only lead their own lives with enthusiasm, but have unique ways of helping us to do so and to become the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. And today's guest really fits in that mold. Not only is he enthusiastic and not only is he pushing me as far as age, but he also, I believe, is the furthest away guest that I've had. I've had some international guests before, but never one from Australia. As I told Bill, I've been there twice and uh, really would like to get there again, but uh, haven't had a guest from there. So I'm really, really thrilled to have Bill Lee Emery. Bill has... Spent over 40 years working with national and international corporations and businesses, as well as world-class skydivers, cyclists, triathletes, golfers, and thousands of individuals who want to succeed in life. He's really a master coach. Bill has distilled his knowledge and experience into a series of books that have just one goal, to help people become better versions of themselves. Where have you heard that before, listeners to the podcast? Besides working in the corporate world, Bill facilitated personal growth programs at one of Australia's best known health resorts on the Gold Coast. Bill is from the Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia, and his most recent book is how to be bulletproof from criticism. Did I get it right? So really looking forward to hearing the wealth of information that Bill Lee Emery has to share with us. Bill, welcome to Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real thrill having you as our guest. Uh, thank you, Ron. And I got to say, you know, whenever you want to come back to Australia, we
1: have kangaroos that hang out in our garden. We live in an eco-village on the Gold Coast, and we have no dogs or cats in the, in the property. So we have lots of wildlife. We don't have street lamps, so we have a dark sky policy. So we have a beautiful view of the starry, starry nights,
0: and it's a very special place to mm-hmm. live. That's, I can't guarantee you that I won't take you up on it, because there's <laughs> <laughs> one place in Australia I haven't been. But really interested to hear about you and your approach to coaching and life and helping people. And you seem to have really developed a kind of an unusual niche in terms of bulletproofing from criticism. How did you happen to get into that as as a, a thing to help people with? So I've been working with uh, men's groups for the last eight
1: or nine years and twice a year I participate in men's gatherings and I've been facilitating workshops there and participating in workshops that happen there. And one lunchtime I was just listening to conversations around the table and I noticed how many men were just holding back from voicing their opinions about things because they were scared about being criticised. And so I thought, well, that's an idea for a new workshop. So I created a new workshop and I ran it. And that was very successful. And then from there, one of my neighbors here in the village had put a program on Udemy, which is a big online program. And I thought, hey, why not? So I put a program on how to be bulletproof and criticism on Udemy. And then I was sitting meditating one day as to do, thinking what's next. And I thought, a book, another book. This is my fifth book. And it's weird. I was thinking, so what can I write about? Everything's been done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then it struck me like a bolt of lightning. Bill, you've done the program. You've got it on video. Why not write a book on how to be bulletproof from criticism? So the idea started from that. And basically, I went back into my past to find out in a circumstance where I had been criticized and how I was able to deal with it. And one of the circumstances, I've been working in this field now for 40 years, but early in my career, about five years in, I was working with a group of um, special education teachers and most of them had PhDs or at least a master's degree in education, and I don't have a degree in education. I was teaching them learning techniques. That's part of my skill tech. That was the second weekend, and I made the comment that I didn't think that guilt was a good way of getting kids to do things. And one woman just, I could see her, she was being agitated by what I'd been talking about. Well, as I made that comment, she just launched the most vitriolic <laughs> personal and professional attack I've ever experienced in my entire life. Now, I'd only been training for like five years, but I'd learned a few things. And I was able to keep myself calm, not attack her because that's, you know, part of me wanted to get her back. And if it was a game of chess, I had her in checkmate with two questions. And at the end of that, I I had learned, I'd learned the theory about dealing with some of these things, but I never had a lived experience. <laughs> so I had to think on my feet, keep myself calm and being able to process, like why should you take me in the first place? So I brought all these things together and put it into the book. And it's a it's an easy
0: two, maybe three hour read. Yeah, so that's how it all started. Okay, well, we'll we're gonna talk about the book and where people can get it. But I'm wondering, I, uh, I know you've worked with a lot of uh, high-power executives and elite athletes. I kind of wonder, what aren't they kind of immune from criticism? Don't they? <laughs> kind of, isn't that part of their success stories? Well, no, i got to tell you that, um, well, they might,
1: they might be able to deal with external criticism, criticism depending on who they are, you know, their, their psychological type, et cetera. But for most people, their inner critic is, especially with high achievers, especially if people are perfectionists. So if any of your listeners are perfectionists, then there's a few gems coming your way here today. So, you know, people as perfectionists, they can just run themselves into the ground. Nothing they do is ever good enough. It's not perfect. It should be like this. And their inner critic, you should be doing this, you should be doing that nagging away nagging away chipping away at someone's confidence so this is not just for people in the elite areas of sports and, and careers it's like every single person I've ever met including myself because all the things I've put in the book are things I've learned from mentors I didn't come up with them I just have to be the vehicle for expressing them so I, I want to go back to your book Aging, and you know for me if You know, I'm getting older. I'm in the second part of my life right now. But I want to live a life that's worthwhile. I want my spirit to be alive, you know, my inner child to come out and play. And for me, that's one of my goals in working with people, to allow that part of them, which is ageless, you know, I've met people in the 80s or 90s that are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. They've still got mischief in their eyes. They've still got a sparkle. And there's, you can see the human spirit. But I'm seeing people in their 20s that have almost, you know, they, their eyes have glazed over and kind of lost that human spirit. And for me, you know, if we talk about ageing and, and always having that spirit with us, we have to be able to give it space to grow. And we also, at the same time, need to be able to deal with the inner critic that's saying, don't do this, don't do that, be quiet, shut up, you know, all these kind of things that we may have heard from in our childhood that, for me, need to, need to be challenged.
0: Yeah, it's uh, such an, a fun thing to watch a young child exploring and doing things yes. and so on, yes. and somewhere along the line there's a message given out that that's wrong. I remember yeah. in my I don't know if they still have some of those tests because I don't do as much testing but in my early days as a psychologist there were actually tests that uh, would penalize you more for getting the wrong answer than for not trying and leaving the the item blank and I think you know that it's just a terrible way to yeah to to grow and certainly I know some of the most successful people I know have been willing to make some mistakes along the way, because sometimes you're going to get it right, and the getting it right a lot of times uh, leads to a a really big right. Yeah, and really it's the environment
1: that that the culture creates, that a family system creates, that a school creates, that allows the human spirit to come alive and to make mistakes, because how else... As human beings do we learn, unless we have an opportunity to fall over and get back up again. The falling over is no big deal. It's just our ability to get back up again from, you know, all the successful people I've met. It wasn't a straight line to success. It was a jagged up and down and, and, you know, dead ends here and and something getting in the way here. But they managed to access the part of them that was highly creative and, and was driven by something. And so part of that is us dealing with all those influences around us, external or internal,
0: that stop us from being truly alive. So if I were half my age and raising mm-hmm. my two sons wow. and wanting to kind of avoid, well, I still want to be the dad. I want to be yeah, in yeah, yeah. control, but I uh, want to avoid teaching them bad habits of you know self-criticism are there some things that you can recommend? Well, there's a, there's a couple. And, uh, you know, my book, obviously, i go into
1: this in more detail. But there's a couple of things I, I'd like to share that's that's worthwhile. And one is, um, one of the questions I learned from one of my mentors a long, long time ago. You know, he says when people do things, often that inner critic will come and say, you didn't do this right, and that was no good, and you didn't do this, and that was wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And so he gave us two questions to ask whenever we do something or anything that we do that we want to improve on. So, for example, I've done a lot of public speaking, and in my early days when I'd get off stage or whatever it might be, my inner critic would just hammer me, just like you didn't do this, you missed this, and, la, 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 la. <laughs> and it was pretty tough, you know. Like Anyway, so the two questions of this, and the way this really came alive for me was when my daughter was uh, very young and she'd bring a painting to me and she she say to me, Daddy, what do you think of my painting? do you like my painting? So I'd ask her a couple of questions. The first question I'd ask her, and your listeners, if you're if you could write this down or or tape it or whatever, just take note of these two questions. The first question is, what do you like about what you've just done? So she'd say to me, Well, I like the reds here, and the greens here, and the blues here. She'd tell me something, and then I'd say to her, Okay, and if you were to change that or do it again. What would you change or do differently? And she'd say, well, maybe I'd have some you know, more color over here or I'd add this here. And she'd tell me what you would change or do differently. Now, you'll notice in, this type, in those two questions, there's no criticism. There's simply building on what the strengths of the person has recognized within themselves. And the second question is, it's an inquiry about if you were to do it again, what do you reckon you would do differently? So, again, there's room for improvement there. So, once I'd ask her those two questions, I would ask her, Would you like my opinion? Now, I, I would deliberately say opinion, which is different from a fact. And I'll come back to that later. And sometimes when she was younger, she'd often say yes. But as she got older, I often say, No, I don't want your opinion. <laughs> so, I'd going, Yeah, good, good. You're standing on your two feet. Don't need me anymore. And so, I would give, I would tell her what I liked about what I saw. And then I'd say, well, in my my view, my opinion or suggestion is you do this, you do this. So I'd give her some ways of getting feedback from an external source, but in a way that was encouraging. So as she grew older and as she went through high school and university and she would write something, for example, and she'd say, Dad, what do you think of this? I'd ask her two questions. What do you like about what you've just done? And if you were to change and do it differently, what what would you change? And would you like my opinion? So then over a period of time, she didn't need my opinion because she had enough benchmarks inside of herself to know if something was of high quality or not. So what I'm really doing from a young age is helping her to assess what are some good benchmarks to evaluate what I've done with what the world is expecting and with what I'm comfortable in doing. So there's a lot of actually things that are going on in this very simple conversation. So for your you know, for your listeners and, and for yourself. You know, you can take these two questions. I'm sure in your experience, you probably come across something very similar to them, if not those two questions. But that's a way of helping us build on our strengths and look at something objectively and go, okay, because we need feedback, like in the corporate world. If a manager would come to me and say, listen, one of my, one of my teammates, they just, they're so fragile, they can't take any criticism. They can't even take critique. If it's phrased that way, because they so literally, what happens is they take whatever is said to heart, and they crumble. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment too. And so, in the corporate world and in everyday life, anyway, we need to be able to take feedback and go, what's useful, what do we need to take on board, and what is actually someone's opinion which may not be so useful anyway. Mm-hmm. So, if we don't have a way of evaluating ourselves, we basically become delusional. <laughs> We become, as we say in Australia, legends in our own lunchtimes. You know, we, you know, we're totally deluded about our own skills set, about what we do. We need that external feedback, but if it's delivered in a way that's humane, it can be useful. Otherwise, it, sometimes it just people won't hear it because it's said with a certain tone of voice
0: or and certain intention, which is more to punish than to help someone learn. As I'm listening to you, it sounds like the internal critic is, or the internal evaluator, is probably really the key component of this, that uh, you will, over time, uh, run into people who aren't like you and uh, will be (laughs) harsher in their criticism. but to have a mechanism for evaluating it and not making that the the way that you evaluate yourself seems like a, a really critical thing.
1: Yeah. And let me just take that point. Now, I mentioned the word opinion before. So I've got a pen in my hand. And if I say to someone, what do you think of this pen? And someone might say, well, that's a really lousy pen. Well, that's a really beautiful pen. Now, either lousy or beautiful is an opinion. The fact about this spend, its mostly purple with some white writing. That's something anyone looking at it can verify. Mm-hmm. So if if we are not able to distinguish between a fact and an opinion, then we're doomed. And when a politician starts a sentence by saying the fact of the matter is, I know that they are going to give me their opinion based on their particular bias of what they want to sell me. Mm-hmm. So so if someone says, "I'm an idiot." I need to know, is that an opinion or is that a fact? And if it's a fact, then maybe I need to do something about it. But if it's an opinion, then I need to work out whose opinion about me am I going to give more credence to, the other person or me? And sometimes in our lifetime, we need to learn the true value of us as a human being, and to honor that and to recognize that and to value that. Mm-hmm. Because if, we, and this is the basis of self esteem, it's literally how we esteem ourselves. And if that's solid, if that's built on, you know, recognition of our, of our human spirit, of all the goodness that we are as a human being, and that's solid within us, people can call us all kinds of names, and in the back of your head, you're going, well, is that an opinion or is it fact? And whose opinion of me am I going to honour? So, you know, for your listeners, as you hear this, just ask yourself, you know, when somebody is criticising you, have you evaluated whether it's a fact or an opinion? And if it's an opinion, then ultimately, you know, of all the people that we ever meet, we are going to be with ourselves longer than any other person. And if we haven't learnt become our best friend and our best ally, then we're basically working against ourselves. And part of, my, part of the work that I've done is to help people become more of a sovereign human being, meaning that we have all these influences from our lives, from our parents, from our culture, from the era that we grew up in. And some of this is good, some of those influences are, are you know, highly life affirming, but some, and excuse my French, absolute shit, the absolute rubbish. So if we're not able to distinguish between the good uh, that's useful to us and stuff that's basic crap, then we are puppets of everybody else. So part of my work is to help people to identify what are the bits that they got from their conditioning from their childhood that's useful to keep as an intrinsic valuable part of ourselves and which parts of all that stuff do we need to basically drop. Then we become more sovereign to ourselves. And if we're not sovereign to ourselves, then we're somebody else's puppet. And that irks me. I don't like
0: being anybody else's puppet. <laughs> doesn't sound like a lofty goal. No, not at all. But as you're talking, I was uh, thinking in terms of people in our age range. Uh, yeah. And in some cases, it's because of circumstances. And certainly there's at least to some extent, a greater acceptance of diversity. There are more opportunities for women than there were uh, for uh, racial minorities. But nonetheless, a lot of people uh, have grown up or continue to grow up kind of wounded. Is is there a point at which it's too late to change or is this something that can be applied, you know? In, in the second half century of life. And before you answer, I do have to correct you from earlier. You said you're in your second half of life. We think <laughs> in terms of the second half century of life, you still have a third half century to, to work on well, too. So well, I'm taking the first half to be seventeen. Okay. Right. Good enough.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. 70 is the new 15.
0: Okay. Great. <laughs> Okay, so tell, tell me about us okay. old folks, if 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 we have been criticized and wounded and incorporated into our self-image. Yeah.
1: So you know, and as we, you know, as we get
0: older, we have more history.
1: And the good part of that is we've got more wisdom, hopefully. But the downside is sometimes we're gonna have history which goes back a long way where we've been wounded. So the past is a past. And, and if I want to be in charge of my here and now, I need to accept that bad things have happened to me. They have happened. And, and as a coach, it was pretty much as a coach, different from when I was working as a therapist or as a counselor, as a coach I work from today moving forward. So there may be things that I need to do in terms of reconciling some of the, my pains and wounds from the past, It may be appropriate to do therapy, to do counselling, to do some forgiveness work, to do some kind of body work, maybe, to get those things outside of our system. But ultimately, our happiness, ultimately, when you pair it all back, our happiness is an inside job. Now, there have been so many experiences of people who've been in horrendous situations, and yet they're able to to come through this and other while other people crumble so the circumstances can be the same but some people will make it through and other people won't so what's the difference and it's never the external circumstances it's always the internal environment that we have so no matter how old someone is it's never too late to be kind to ourselves it's never too late to be compassionate to ourselves you know a lot of people i work with they find it very easy to be compassionate to everybody else but themselves Well, heck, try it on yourself. (laughs) Try being kind to yourself. Try and be be gentle to yourself. Try and talk to your body for a change. Maybe change the tone of your voice from a critical, you should be doing this, to, hey, how about you do this? So there's lots of ways. And in my view, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to be a five-year-old. You know, our five-year-old is always waiting inside of us going, yeah, come on, let me play, let me play. i got stuff I still want to do. And it's that part of us, that childlike, playful part of us, that gives us our life force. You know, you watch a five-year-old running around. They've got heaps, of, heaps and heaps of energy. But you, you look at an eight-year-old or 90-year-old, and we, we've got a, a gentleman here in the village who's 94, and he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. He's engaged in things. He's more alive than some people know that are 50 or 40. And the difference? It's his approach to life. It's never too late to be kinder, to be more gentle, to be more self-compassionate.
0: I know also that uh, playfulness or having fun yeah, yeah. Is, is a key concept for you. Uh, and mm-hmm. listeners are aware of the fact that that being playful is one of the Ps of the, the type P personality. Uh, so I'm a little biased about it. If we can expand <laughs> on that a little bit about the importance of... Oh, yes. Well, actually... Power.
1: Let me give you a new word, Ron. And it begins with P, so that's kind of appropriate. And it's, P- it's spelled P-L-E-R-K. So the word is plerk, And this was taught to me by one of my mentors 40 years ago. And he said to us, he said, you know, most people are doing a nine-to-five job. And what happens is, unfortunately, is when nine o'clock turns turns up, they leave their, their creativity, their playfulness, and they get really serious and they start being a serious human being. And at five o'clock they clock off and they go home and then their playful self comes back. And he says, what a shame that we don't bring a sense of playfulness into the workplace and be much more enlivened and lively, et cetera, et cetera. So he came up with this word clerk and the PL stands for play or pleasure. And the RK stands for like the work, paying mortgages, bills, et cetera, et cetera, and doing all those adulting things and the E stands for excitement, enthusiasm, effort, exuberance. So when I saw that 40 years ago, I thought I'm going to give up work forever. I was in my uh, late 20s, early 30s. I thought I'm never going to work a day in my life. I'm going to find something that I can put my heart into, something that brings me joy and pleasure. And so all my energy, my enthusiasm, I can focus in that way. And that's how I'm going to operate from there. So I haven't worked for 40 years Uh, and I'll find ways of plurking and I'll still be plurking. I'm hoping when I'm, you know, 99 in the shade, I'll still be finding something that I can put my heart into that brings me joy because that I know is going to keep me alive and healthy for a long, long, long time. So please take that work, do what you will with it, add it to anything that you're doing.
0: Um, It was given to me and I'm very happy to give it to you and your listeners. Thank you very much. It's a, I will use it, and you are <laughs> kind enough to give me a word that starts with a P so it can go in with all the other <laughs> P's of the type P e personality. So that's, that's really good. Thank you. It's kind of hard to uh, – couldn't have guessed that you enjoy your work that much. but it, It's very obvious that when it comes to living life with enthusiasm, you know, you kind of cornered the market to some <laughs> But um, one of the things that you know was really impressive uh, was this focus on the difference between opinion and fact. And uh, I'm wondering, without giving away too much of your of your book, are there one or two other concepts that uh, you can share with us that that may be particularly helpful? That- yes, uh, and there's one again, I got this from my mentor 40
1: years ago. It's probably it's probably one of the most important gifts, ideas, concepts that I think I can offer your listeners. Uh, and so the program I was doing, I was learning about transactional analysis, which you're probably very familiar with. Uh, I was learning about TA and gestalt therapy, and we were around for about a year. So pretty much every weekend we do a workshop of one kind or another, or at least one or two a month. And one workshop, John, John Barnaby is his name, he put up on the flip chart and he said, Life is meaningless. And we're going, what do you mean life is meaningless? We came here to find the meaning of life and you know, how we tick. So what the heck do you mean? And he said, so your listeners can do this. If you've got pen and paper, you can do this for yourself. So he wrote on another flip chart. He put the word event in the middle of the flip chart and put a little circle around it. And he said, every event in life is meaningless, is innocent. It means nothing. So from birth through to death, everything in between is simply an event. By itself, it is innocent. But he said, human beings are meaning-making machines. We can't help ourselves. So when something happens, an event in life, we'll make a meaning on it. For example, I'm walking down the street. I see a friend of mine that I know. I wave hello. they completely completely me. In nanoseconds, I've come up with some kind of meaning about them or about me. You know, how come they didn't say hello? What's wrong with me? Gosh, maybe maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he's never liked me. Hey, maybe none of my friends have ever, maybe none of my entire life is like me. So I can make a small meaning and crank it up and make it way bigger. Or another meaning I can make as well, he really looked distracted. I might just check in with him to see if everything's okay. So two different meanings of the same event, but I could have a dozen different meanings of that same event. And John said this, he said, the meanings that you make become your reality. And he also said that every meaning that we make is self chosen. And then he said the kicker, he said, it doesn't matter whether the meaning that you're making is true or not, because that can always be debated. The real question is, is the meaning that you're making useful or not? And I sat with that for a while. And I had to let it kind of wash over me. And and it wasn't long after that that I had a real-life experience of this. And my girlfriend at the time had said something to me. And I thought that was a pretty mean thing to say. So I was doing my internal, what's wrong with me, la, 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 and, you know, what's wrong with her, and what do you say, this?" and all this angsting inside of my head. And then I stopped and said, well, hang on. So, Bill, what's the meaning that I'm making about what she's just said? And, And I came up with something. I said, so what's underneath that? meaning in other words there's layers of meanings if you like from every event and I kept on going down until I found the crucial thing that I had made the meaning out of it was under a few layers of different things and when I came to that meaning ah, that's what I'm really upset about and then I had to look at that meaning that i would made and ask myself well is it true well, yes or no and ultimately is that meaning useful or not is it useful for me to hang on to that or do you need to let it go? So pretty much since then, when something, for me, I, when I upset myself about something in the world, when I get over my angsting and my angering and whatever else I might be doing, I ask myself, so what's the meaning underneath all of this? And is that meaning useful to me or not? And that helps me to process stuff. So I don't think, literally don't think, take things to heart. It means if someone... Cause me something or says something. I've got ways of processing it, you know, through fact and opinion, whose opinion is more important. But also what is the true meaning I'm making of what's happening? Because that is the thing that will power my emotions. My emotions, you know, are made up of the meanings that are made out of something. If I make a really crappy meaning out of something, all my emotions and all my thinking will be based on a useless meaning that I've made up. So ultimately. As a human being, I'm responsible for what I think, what I feel, and what I do. And to the degree that I take responsibility for those three things is the degree that I've got freedom. And to the degree that I advocate my responsibility for those three things, then I'm a puppet. And I'm choosing to be a puppet less and less and less and less, especially as I
0: get older. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it, uh, I think just the process of what you're going through also reduces the likelihood of this thing escalating by some impulsive remark and so on that the the other person will react to and and so on. Yeah. So I guess I've got a choice at this point. I can either continue to take more notes than I'm used to (laughs) when I do these podcasts, or I'm going to have to... Go through your book in more detail. So uh, <laughs> I'm assuming the listeners are in the same boat. So how about if you tell us uh, a little bit, anything more about the book, and most importantly, how they can how they can get it? So the book is,
1: it's a two-hour, three-hour read. It's like 17,000 words. I made sure that it was concise, but everything was there. And there's several personal stories, including some stories that were pivotal for me in my early childhood that led, you know, something can happen that can lead you in one direction or in the other, and we'll talk about those things there. The book is available on Amazon, and in the show notes, I'll give you the link for your USA listeners and also for outside of the USA because they're two different links. Yes. Um, and I've just come up with a like a quiz that people can rate their Bulletproof from Criticism Ness, if you like. So I'll give you the link for that in the the show notes. Um, My website will also be in the show notes too, but that's basically criticism.com.au. And I'd love to get some feedback from your listeners as to what's been maybe the most valuable thing that has come from this conversation. And I have to say that all the things that I talk about, I learned from other people. Um, sure, there's my spin, my stories around them, but I'm so grateful that I've had some mentors that have helped me shape my thinking, my ability to manage my emotional state and how and how I am as a human being. If I didn't have those influences in my life, then I'd be a very, very different person. And, and I believe we are all, you know, we can all be a ripple in the pond. Something I say to you is something you say to me, a conversation that goes further adds a little ripple in the pond. And we never know where the ripples go. We don't have to. It's just the pleasure of being able to drop a stone in the pond and knowing those ripples
0: can actually have an intergenerational effect. And also uh, not just intergenerational, but uh, intercontinental. Uh, oh, sure. From Absolutely. From Australia through the yeah. United States and Europe and any place else that we have listeners. So uh, I really, really have enjoyed speaking with you, uh, Bill. I knew beforehand that I wasn't going to promise that I won't <laughs> have you back. So uh, you, you Let's
1: that.
0: <laughs> I just, I've learned a lot. It's been both ed- entertaining and educational. Again, we will have all this information in the show notes. And uh, I believe you also are on social media too, so that they're, other ways to, to get in touch, but I know that the, the book and the concepts within them are just so worthwhile that uh, I really encourage my listeners to not only follow you, but to, to get the book. And uh, anything else I should have asked you but didn't before we sign off? I think you've covered pretty much everything, Ron.
1: No, I think I'm you've got okay. it all. Glad I yeah.
0: stumped you that I've.
1: I've. <laughs> <laughs> me. However, I would love to have a conversation maybe sometime in, the, in early next year. So we could take maybe one bit. It's like if we can get some feedback from your sure. listeners as to so what are the parts that they heard that they want us to go deeper down into, then I'd be very, very happy to do that.
0: Great, great. And I, I hope you'll get some of the feedback directly. I know that I will. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll have some guidance as as to how to go in that direction. Sure, that'd be lovely. So once again, and I know you've got you've got a whole day ahead of you in, in Australia. Yeah, it it's evening here in Philadelphia, so I want to wish you. say Am I pronouncing it right? Good day. Yes, that's pretty good. Good <laughs> <And>, night. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and again, I've learned a whole lot from you. And if anybody who's listening is new to the podcast. This is the quality of guests that we get. So I hope that you will not only listen to, download, rate, and review this podcast, but we'll be back next week for another really interesting guest. Uh, This has been Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser, our special guest, Bill Lee Emery, who taught us a lot today and uh, hope you'll Get his book where you can learn a whole lot more and please visit the mental health gym website to make sure that you stay up to date on all kinds of things related to positive psychology and uh, while you're on amazon if you haven't gotten rejuvenating yet uh, you can order the the two books at the same time in the meantime unfortunately i've been saying this for for too long but we are still in pandemic so uh Stay safe out there. Take care of each other and stay positive. And we'll see you next week.